Okay, so thank you very much uh, for coming and we'll, we'll launch into it. Um, so last week um, we, we looked at the, the very real and devastating causes of, of depression in people's lives, that it was a real thing that has real physical manifestations um, and, uh, and it has real causes. And so there's that, that reminder to us to be compassionate with each other um, and, and not to be judging because people, if they are suffering from depression, more often than not, have um, very real reasons for suffering. We looked at Psalm 143 and, uh, and, the, and the psalmist who was overwhelmed by despair in, uh, in that psalm. Now this week for some context, I went to a funeral today of, uh, of my work colleague who died at the age of 44. Um, so right there, you see 130-odd people at a funeral who have got a really good cause to be looking at their lives, who've, who are struck by a tragedy of losing someone early, um, losing someone who was in health three months and five days earlier. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, 130 people who have that tragedy in their lives and some family members who have been walking a very difficult journey. So you see all around us the, the opportunities for people to be struggling with very profound issues. Um, this week we are going to be looking at the fact that for those who suffer from depression, you are not alone in your experience of depression. We're going to see that isolation from people is tempting but ultimately dangerous. We're going to see that there is professional help available, and uh, Dr. Took, I should call you, shouldn't I, is going to, uh, Dr. Joan is going to speak to us and shed some light on the medical and professional um, services that are available to people suffering. And we're going to see also that God is always going to give us the strength and grace that we need when we need it. It's his commitment to us as his children. So as we dive into it, we'll see... And most of us have been around the Bible for a fairly long time. It won't surprise most of us that some of, it, some of our heroes in the faith in Scripture um, were very um, overwhelmed and overcome at various times in their lives. We, we saw just recently in, um, in some of the teaching on Sunday morning, Elijah was on the run from Jezebel who wanted to wanted to kill him. He sat under a tree and he wanted to die. This was after the victory of Mount Carmel, of course. Jonah wanted to die because he was fed up with God. Um, King David wept before God constantly, he says of himself. Solomon, King Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes where he concludes that everything in life is meaningless. <coughs> Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He wrote a whole book called Lamentations, five chapters of, of sadness. So we're going to look at um, the verses on, on the screen there, at Lamentations 3, 14 to 20. If someone would like to read that, either from the screen or from your notes, I think it's there on the page, that would be excellent. Yeah. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. 
He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Okay. So that's the prophet Jeremiah. Very, very um, overcome with his circumstances. Now the prophet Isaiah prophesied that Jesus himself would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with many griefs. So we know that Jesus also um, understands our, our sadness. So from this list of people, I just want to pick up on two quick things. Clearly, great personal sadness is not an obstacle to being used by God. Right? It's not. These people here depressed or not, have got great personal sadness, but they are some of the heroes of our faith. So your sadness and mine is not an obstacle to God working. In fact, it might be the exact opposite. Perhaps, in some cases, our humiliation is required to be used by him. Now, some of the heroes of our faith, think about the humiliation they went through before their ministry started. David, a shepherd, out on his own, youngest of eight brothers. Moses, in the wilderness. I think he was there for 40 years before he went back to his people and rescued them and then ended up in the wilderness for another 40 years. But 40 years of humiliation from prince to shepherd. Right, Jonah himself we don't really get an insight to what his experience of being in the belly of a whale did to humiliate him sufficiently to do the work that God called him to do. He then went and preached very successfully, in inverted commas, um, the people repented at his preaching. He was humiliated. The Apostle Paul, humiliated. The Apostle Peter, humiliated. Right In various ways, before they had a profoundly um, influential ministry. Okay, so, so it's important that we realise that not only can God use our lowness, but maybe it's actually really important. We're going to look at uh, uh, in a later week how maybe it's the, the modern day leprosy you know um, I just uh, that's just some one of the thoughts that, that's kicking over in my mind it makes outcasts of people people feel isolated um, and there's a, there's a stigma around it of course and, but maybe it's important for us as Christians to make us humble right so our our humiliation can be used by God. Okay, might even be really important that we have it. Now, all of these heroes of the faith that we just mentioned have something very profound in common. That is, they have an intimate relationship with God. Now, we read the the Lamentations verse. If you're still anywhere near, no, you don't have your Bibles. You're reading it from the page. The very next verses you will recognise instantly. 
This I recall to my mind. So these are the very next verses. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I, I find it an amazing, these contrasts we often get in Scripture, but we, the contrast that is borne out in our own lives. And if, and if we've suffered from depression, and even if you haven't, you've, you will have had some really dark times in your life and uh, some profoundly dark times. But at the same time, there's mourning, there's joy. There is, in Christ, there is hope, there is love, there is rejoicing. And they can be side by side. They can be on the same day. We can have laughter and tears within minutes of each other, hours of each other. And this is, in part, the Christian walk that we have. This overflowing joy that is welling up within us that we can't even explain. So we're going to um, go to Psalm 42 and 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 have a have a quick look at this psalm. Um, if someone would like to read that, please, that would that would be a fantastic help. Psalm 42. Yearning for God in the midst of distresses. To the chief musician, a contemplation for the sons of Korah, of 42 as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and clap and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a vote of joy and with a voice of joy and praise, with a minute multitude that kept up pilgrim feast. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All of your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproached me. 
while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Okay, so thank you, Sally. Um, so clearly this is another psalm where you really see the heart of the, the writer just um, just in a lot of pain. My tears have been my food day and night. You know, and then this cry twice, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Now there's something that, that I was taught and that I find really helpful and that is something the psalmist is doing here. There's this separation of the mind and the soul. There's an observation from your mind towards that other part of you, your soul. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And I've found it a helpful um, habit. Instead of saying, I am depressed, or I am having a bad day, or I am very moody, to be able to say, I am feeling depressed today. Or better still, I notice I am feeling depressed today. There's this separation between the depression and fully integrating it into our being. Right? It's, it's just, it's observing it as a separate thing. This is the way I'm feeling right now. It's not, I am this. It's got me in, it, in its jaws. So it's just a little habit that I do. When I, when I wake up and I'm feeling a bit grumpy, I say to myself, I'm feeling that way today. Or I notice I'm feeling this way today. And it's just a little thing that just goes, I'm looking at you like a separate thing that I'm going to deal with, not, oh, woe is me. You know, I am fully overwhelmed. Okay, there's, there's just a little difference there. Now, I really love this psalm. We're not going to spend much longer on it. I love this psalm because, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it was written for the musicians who were the, uh, the sons of Korah. Now, this speaks to me of God's grace because the sons of Korah challenged um, Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and were promptly swallowed up by the ground. This is, a, this, this is a passage that makes me tremble a little bit for a few personal reasons, but I won't go into those. But, this, um, but at one point in time, the sons of Korah were being punished severely by God. And yet here we are, I tried to do the maths earlier, 600 odd years later, they are still the singers in the temple. They are still in charge of worship. I was just find that absolutely fantastic so God is just so gracious with us he never deals with us finally you know in that sense of we might we might feel like God's um, God's looking at us <laughs> and St. Christopher using my full name um, you know you know you're in trouble when you hear your full name and sometimes it feels like that God is is using our full name but he's always just willing and wanting to show grace to us. So we see his mercy in just in who this psalm was written for. And of course, I hadn't really picked up before that, of course, there were lots of godly people in Israel when, um, when the kingdom split. 
and we know that the northern tribes went off and they never had a godly king on their throne but they had godly people who were singing psalms to God and wishing that they were in the temple but now they're in the northern kingdom so it's, it's really profound now we also see therefore the irony in this psalm and once again it is that it just points out to me that contrast in our own lives. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And the, the answer seems fairly obvious, right? There's oppressors, enemies, reproach, mocking, right? All of these things are happening to the writer of the psalm. Now, they're hard things to deal with, aren't they? And yet the psalmist is saying, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And finding hope. If you've got that psalm in front of you, we'll just flash through the six things that the psalmist is seeking. In verse 1, he's seeking satisfaction in God. In verse 2, the Lord's presence. In verse 4, restoration to fellowship and the house of God. Now that is also key when we're thinking about the issue of isolation and the way depression has a tendency to isolate us the the psalmist is feeling a long way from God's people and from the temple in verse 5 he's seeking God's face in verse 8 God's loving kindness and that word came up last week it's a fantastic theme in scripture and then in verse 8 as well his song comfort in the night you know that time of night I don't know about you, but sometimes it's that time of night, bedtime, where depression just digs its claws in. Whether it's the dark, whether it's the, the fact that you're on your own, whether it's the fact that the noise of the day has come to an end, all the distractions have come to an end, suddenly you're alone with yourself. And that can be the worst place to be, right? Alone with yourself. And in a, a couple of the Psalms, there's this principle of, God being your song in the night, that you can go to sleep rejoicing and at peace um, rather than depressed. Okay, so we're not alone, right? We've seen some of the heroes of the faith. We've seen this beautiful psalm written uh, by the by the worshippers in the temple um, talking about the, the, the depressed soul. Um, now let's look at how uh, further into the theme that we're, we're really not alone. So, 1 Corinthians 10.13. Is that anywhere? It is up there. Fantastic. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So the first thing I just want to point out in this is that we are not unique in our experiences. Now that doesn't matter whether or not you, you suffer from depression or you don't. There are people all around the world, there are brothers and sisters all around the world who are having extremely similar circumstances, who are feeling very similar things, maybe for completely different circumstances, completely different reasons. But the things that face us, the, the temptations that are upon us, can be um, common to, to all of us. 
So I wanted to open up to discussion, and you you don't need to um, uh, necessarily say that these are your thoughts or your feelings. You can you can talk about it from what you understand or what you've seen in other people. But I just wanted to have a a quick discussion about what the temptations are for someone suffering from depression. Okay, so we're we're not talking about temptations in general that you know out in the world, but I believe that the depression itself comes with certain temptations that are that go along with it. So anyone like to throw any ideas out? Killing yourself. Killing yourself. We're going to deal with that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, negative self-talk. Negative self-talk, right. The temptation of doing that. Yep. Isolating yourself. Isolating, yep. Yeah, so not believing what God has said. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking that no one else understands. Right. Yep. Thinking that nobody else understands. What are some more temptations? For yourself. Not not sharing with others. Not sharing with others? You just keep it to yourself. Yep, keep it to yourself, yep. The temptation of not dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good one. You say an unhealthy dependency on things? Yeah. Yeah, it can lead to dependency on things. Yep. Such as? Drugs, drugs, alcohol. Yep. yep. Eating? Yes. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, TV. Yep. It's like things are getting bad. Send chocolate. Yep. <laughs> Pool fence building. <laughs> There's the glory to God in pool fence building. Looking to self all the time without. Um, yeah. Yeah. And hypochondriac, hypochondriacism and all yep. that sort of thing. Just... Yeah. It can have an overwhelming. Yeah. It can have an overwhelming concentration on self, can't it? Yeah. You wake up in the morning and the first question you ask yourself is, "How am I feeling today?" Oh my goodness. Why am I still here? Okay. Yeah, why am I still here? Yes, that was, yes. Oh, sleeping all day. Yes, yeah, sleeping all day. Okay. Uh, we saw in the psalm separation from the temple. Who Can anyone suggest that they're tempted not to come to church? Or they're tempted not to go to Bible study? Or they're tempted to fall out of fellowship in some way? With those things come other temptations. Prayerlessness. Did I say that last week? Yeah, oh, it's just a, it's just a thing, isn't it? You need help more than ever before, but you find yourself unable to ask for it, um, or not willing to. Stop reading the word. Yep. How's your uh, praise and worship going when you're uh, feeling at the at the bottom and when you're focusing on your depression? There's the distance. Glorifying Christ. Mm, not so much. Um, how's your uh, your testimony going and your uh, and your um, evangelism going when you're focusing on how lousy your own life is? Yeah. 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 Yeah
when I'm focusing. I'm, this is to me, right? Well, not too far. No. Yeah, so... Um, Okay, so we, we've got the, all of these temptations. So thank you all for your, for your input, right? We, and, and very quickly we find ourselves nodding, right? We understand what people are saying. We go, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. We, we know. So we know we're having this commonality of experience. The temptations are the same uh, for us. And, and yet we have this promise that God is always faithful to us and it's... And, and it brings out this thing in me where I, um, I've sometimes seen and I saw it in the survey uh, that underpinned um, this, this course of study that side by side you've got this terrible depression, this terrible um, despair and then you've got this praise and the worship from the same people and what a contrast it is and that in itself kind of does something a bit weird in your head right on the on the one hand you find yourself going through all of these experiences god is faithful god is good and then you're overwhelmed by your own faithlessness and and all of those temptations that are befalling us and and so I've often found that within the same person there is an awareness of God's faithfulness more than almost anybody else. If I want to know how good God is, um, how did Jesus say it to the Pharisee? You know, who is more grateful? The person who's been forgiven the, the small debt or the person that's been forgiven the big debt? And I find that my depression, and I think you'll agree, sometimes takes you to the point of being so faithless that any semblance of God's faithfulness is just mind-blowing. He loves me still. After all the things I've said, after all the things I've thought, after... He loves me so incredibly. So what a beautiful thing that is. And that resides. And so therefore, if, you know, if you want to know about God's faithfulness, go to someone who's struggled with with depression because they'll just go God has walked with me through every valley and every peak he's been faithful season in season out what a wonderful thing so our temptations also we see in this verse 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, are not beyond what Christ can help us to endure or to escape from that's a really important thing we feel hopeless, we feel helpless, but Christ is there to help us if we, if we go to him. He'll be faithful to us to help us um, get through those times. He might just remind you of how much he loves you. An incredible thing. Okay, so one of the temptations we, we picked up on there was isolation. Right, I, and I think, look, it's, it's the... It's one of the big ones through the whole world, you know, not, not just the church, but all through all the research, people that suffer from depression just want to dig into a hole, right? That's, your temptation is to protect yourself, to not be hurt further, to not suffer any further indignities, um, to, to really just 
shut up shop. I was really blessed today. The family, um, the family that lost their their daughter uh, at today's funeral, and uh, the brother. Um, There's nothing to to imply that they knew the Lord in any way, shape, or form. But I was really blessed by the way their family had opened themselves up to all the other people that were suffering, rather than shutting up shop. You know, like we were just work colleagues, and yet. Over the weeks and months, they've had email contact with us, phone contact with us, letting us know what was going on. And I just thought how brilliant that was, you know, that they could have just gone under this tragedy. They could have just gone, boom, walls up. Let's all just, as a family, bond together, you know, and just support each other. But instead, they just allowed us all to to walk through the grief um, uh, with them, for ourselves and with them. Or is very generous, very generous of them. So, isolation. Why is it a bad thing? So, 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You'll see the picture on all of these pages is of the crouching lion, and we've all seen the documentaries. How do they work? They go for the weak animal, they go for the slow animal, they go for the isolated animal. Right? Satan is exactly like that. He is a crafty serpent. Right? And he is looking for ways to shipwreck our faith, to silence our testimony, and he will play a long game. It's one of the reasons why as we get older as Christians we should never ever rest in thinking that we have arrived. <laughs> because that thought in and of itself is Satan saying, you can be proud now, you've achieved something. No longer rely on the grace of God. You've reached some level of, uh, of spirituality to be enjoyed. And Satan will come at us in some very direct ways when we're young. It might be through our friends, um, speaking to us uh, cruelly, harassing us for our faith. And, and Satan will try those things, like the bird and the seed, remember that the farmer sowed, Satan will try various things, very direct things to rattle you in your early, in your early uh, years as a Christian. But as time goes on, Satan learns he needs to play a longer game. Um, not unlike some of the superpowers in the world. Prepared to take a very long view of history. And how long does it take to, to, um, to derail a, a brother or a sister? But isolation is the thing that the devil, the, the lion, um, will use. He's a strategist. So we've got to be careful of isolation. Now, in the, in the research, it showed that, that lots of people don't talk about their depression. They don't tell anyone. Okay, and... There's some really good reasons for that, and there's some there's some reasons for that that need to be challenged. There are 
some professions amongst us that are very difficult for those people in those professions to admit to feeling depressed about, right? If you are in a profession where you are responsible, where you hold people's lives in your hand, you know, if you are a, a doctor, a policeman, a teacher in a classroom, um, uh, a pilot of an aeroplane, things become um, career-threatening, right, if you are depressed. Really blessed by an interview on the radio just yesterday on the ABC um, with, a, with a very senior um, Australian federal policeman who um, covered up um, post-traumatic stress for a lot of years. A lot of grief, a lot of pain going through. And, um, and uh, finally, um, he was convinced that he had to deal with it. And so he, uh, he went to the doctor and he, and he got help and, um, and, a, and a program to start working through. And, uh, when he, um, and then he was offered this very important position overseas and he thought, now I have to go to my boss and I have to tell him. Now, I, I know of a policeman who, um, you know, was immediately relieved of their frontline position, right? They have their gun removed from them, they just office work. So, right, that's, that's bad. <laughs> right, that's, mate, you know what I mean. That's hard to take. That's exactly right, that's exactly right. Um, and, uh, but this, but this fellow, um, this fellow finally went to the, the most senior Australian federal policeman and he said, you've asked me to do this job, I've got to tell you, I'm struggling with PTSD. I've had it for many years and so I, I have to rec recuse myself of the position. And, the, and his boss said to him, have you seen anyone about it? He said, before you don't go rushing into it, have you seen anyone about it? Yes, I have. Have you got a plan? Yes, I have. Are you sticking to the plan? Yes, I am. When you go on this posting, are you going to continue sticking to the plan? Yes, I am. He said, well, I would prefer that you were working for me than the guy who I don't know has got PTSD. You know, because lots of them had come out of Afghanistan and very nasty places. But he was dealing with it. And I thought that was a very wise, wise way of dealing with him. Um, but lots of people don't talk about their depression. Lots of people inside the church don't talk about their depression. And, and so I'm just telling you those stories. People have got really good reasons sometimes for not doing it. Other times it is simply pride and it is not wanting to appear weak. Sometimes it can be they fear the church will judge them, right? And that's a really big thing. If you're, if you're in sweet fellowship with people and you think... I'm going to be judged if I tell them. That's, that's a hard position to be in. But some really interesting things came out in the statistics. The people that talked about it had an overwhelmingly better outlook in terms of what they hoped for, in terms of their walk with Christ, in terms of their hope that they had. Um, and, uh, and you'll see that Statistic there, 92% of Christians with depression credited God for enabling them to live a better life. That's an amazing stat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
that's absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, right there, that's, that's just saving people's lives left, right and centre. That's an incredible statistic, 92%. The 8% that didn't feel that God had helped them hadn't shared with anyone that they suffered from depression. So, and look, my personal experience of this church has just been support, love, incredible. I've just been so blessed to be here, so many people praying for me. Um, I, I feel guilty for the resources that I've sucked up in people's prayer lives on my behalf. Okay, but... Um, okay, but going back, going, back to that, going back to that verse there's a few things that we need to do. We need to be sober and vigilant. We need to understand how Satan works, but we need to resist him. We need to stand steadfast in the faith. Right, and, and those two things, we're going to fail at. Sometimes we'll do them, sometimes we'll find it hard um, to stand steadfast in the faith and to resist him. But we know that God is faithful to give us the strength if we call out to him. Now once again, we're not unique in our experiences, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now I want to ask a question because, it, just to open it up again, but why is it comforting to us that others suffer the same way? It sounds a little bit perverse on the, on the surface of it, doesn't it? But why, why is it comforting to us? Right. So, in the, in the scale of things, okay. those people in Iran are doing it very tough, and I'm just three out of ten, and there's seven. Out of 10. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yep. Some scale, and mm. yep. Perspective. Yep. Absolutely. Perspective. Normalise it. It normalises it. And how does that help? When you feel that you are. situation that, that other people aren't feeling the same way yeah. it helps to calm the spirit. Fantastic. Okay. And other people understand. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I uh uh, years years ago at this conference, I, I had I had told um told people about my abuse, uh, a few family friends, but I uh, ver- people very close to me, only my family and a, and a couple of others. And um, uh, but I, I was at a I was at a conference. I might refer to it a couple of times because it actually turned out to be a very significant weekend for me. But um, over a few glasses of red wine at the end of at the end of one of the nights, I, I got talking to, to a, a, a lady. You'll be glad to know that there was a room full of people um, all, uh, uh, all, all having fun and um, uh, in the most pure sense of the word, and, um, except for all the red wine. But besides that, uh, I was talking to her and found out that she was profoundly non-Christian. You know, she just really hated God. <laughs> and... Um, and so I was just digging a little bit deeper. You know, I said, why? And, and you know, so it's probably 1am or something. And she says, because I was abused as a child. 
And in that moment, I just kind of went, there's someone else. I mean, you, you see it on the television, but it never even occurred to me. You know, there's somebody else. And I just felt, I felt so many barriers just coming down, just in that one conversation. And, and uh, as, a, as a challenge to us, I say her reasons for running away from God were that she had a mother who was a Christian and a father who was an abuser. And somehow they'd come to an arrangement where no one talked about the, the other, right? Whereas Christians have got to be tough. Yeah. We've got to be tough in the love of God and what is right. And, um, and, uh, and she, was, uh, she clearly had learnt the lesson that you run away from God, right? And I thought, isn't that funny? Because my reaction was exactly the opposite. I ran to God. My only hope of salvation, my only hope of staying alive was Jesus. She ran away from God, I ran to God. No virtue of my own, he was my only hope. <laughs> it wasn't a great decision, it was my only decision. There was no other decision to be made. But in that moment, I was, uh, I was so, so comforted. And so I just, I just say to you, your, your experiences that have led to your depression, A, you know aren't unique. Other people have had them. B, it's worth talking to those other people and sharing the experience because there's, there's strength in, in that community of people that have had the same, same issues. So there's connection, there's love, there's hope, there's compassion, um, there's insight, there's experience we can learn. How did somebody else survive this? <coughs> I'm struggling to survive. How did you survive, though? How did you survive? You know, we can, we can learn from each other, and there tends to be no judgment in those circles, right? We all are suffering in the same way. There's a reduction of shame, and shame is a silent killer. We'll look at that in, a, in another week. So we're not made to walk alone. It's an amazing thing about the Christian faith. We are not made to walk alone, but we can. God is so good... He is faithful to you whether you are on a desert island, the proverbial desert island, whether you are in Iran, too scared to share your faith with anyone, you may have no brothers and sisters for kilometres, you can't, you know, you're there on your own, but God is good, God is faithful, and his word and his spirit will comfort you. He will be as real to you, if not more so, in that circumstances, then we can often have in a, a church of people praising and worshipping God. God is faithful. He is individual. He dwells within us, which is an amazing thing. So, but we are not made where we have the opportunity for fellowship. We are made to be in fellowship. We're going to look at the role of fellowship um, in depression in, in a later week as well. But we're made to walk in unity and in love with one another. And by carefully and respectfully sharing our experiences, um, we can grow and we can become stronger. Love um, overcomes all kinds of evil, right? Strong loving relationships keep us from isolation. 
And, you know, one of the reasons why I come to church now is just I love it. I love the people here. That's what brings me back week after week after week. I love the preaching. Um, I do, but I love the people. And I would just just love coming and being here with you guys. So you might have uh, seen, if you can read it, it's on your handouts as well, the reasons for not t talking about it, the reasons for talking about it. Um, you can see there there's... Just with regards to relationships, it's just navigating relationships and being honest and open relationships and 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 those um, uh, those factors of, of having open and honest relationships. Um, and what came out in the survey is that people who shared their depression with their congregation, that doesn't mean standing in front of the congregation telling them, but people who shared their depression with others in, in their congregation reported less doubt in God. Right? They had a sense that God would see them through, would carry them through. Some of the reasons there, and as I said last week, one of the um, reasons why we're, we're talking about depression inside the church is because it needs to be talked about inside the church. Right? And, it, and it often isn't. Um, so you'll see some of the reasons why people do talk about it and some of the reasons why they don't. People don't want the attention... They, they know there's a stigma. They don't want to be embarrassed. Some uh, fear judgment. Um, but others just believe it's important for getting on and having real relationships with one another. Honest and open relationships. Once again, it's not about speaking it from the top of the mountain. It's about just carefully sharing with the people who you feel um, close to and, and comfortable sharing with in relevancy. Okay, so we're not made to walk alone um, and we've got our fellowship to help us, we've got our loving families to help us but we also live in a very blessed country. We live in a country that offers um, uh, cheap, if not free, sometimes um, health care to us um, and so I've invited Joan to talk to us about the helps that are available uh, from a medical perspective and, uh, and the professional services that are available. So, Joan, if you'd like to come and speak to us, that would be wonderful. Hi, I'd like to pick up on two things that Chris said last week. The first one was uh, people don't talk about suicide anymore in the press. That's because of copycat suicides. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've forgotten what the other one was. <laughs> no, I haven't. It's a legal requirement now because because of children copycatting. Um, the other, uh, I grew up in a church where if you were depressed, you didn't have enough faith to get better. And that I think that was across all the churches. And you were a really weak Christian, and you just didn't talk about it because depression. You, Christians don't get depressed, I was told. I was actually told that. Christians should get depressed. And I'm reading the Bible and I think, well, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, there's something wrong with the church. And there was. And I... In those days, you couldn't do anything about it anyway, so probably except put people in hospital and keep them from killing themselves. So I think that's probably a good thing in that we're now talking about it, that we're, um, that we're opening it up. Not many churches are. I put a definition of um, of depression. 
Uh, it's interesting that that uh, definition is a DSMV. It's a um, it's the fifth book of psychiatric definitions from the College of Psychiatrists, the Royal College of Psychiatrists in America. Um, and it's changed three weeks to two weeks. So now you only have to be sad for two weeks to be diagnosed as depressed. It's very arbitrary and probably not very useful. One week the difference. <laughs> Uh, sometimes when um, doctors diagnose depression, they, they say clinical depression or major depressive disorder, and there are a number of symptoms that go with it. Um, depressed mood um, is the first one, and that's an obvious one, that not feeling happy, feeling sad continuously, you know, most of the time for two weeks. Uh, decreased in, in interest or pleasure in activities and um, significant weight loss or weight gain due to appetite decrease or increase. And that this all fits in with the cortisol and the adrenaline that we had last week because that takes away your appetite or it stimulates your appetite. It depends on your metabolism. Um, slowing down of thoughts and reduction of physical movements. Um, so slowing down of the body. And not gets to the point where there's so much cortisol that you can't cope. There's so much adrenaline that you can't cope, so you just shut down and you become introverted and isolate yourself. I can I, I can say that because I've been depressed, <laughs> so I will put it in the, in the personal program. Um, decreased ability to think, concentrate and make decisions. Um, when it gets to that point, it becomes quite serious. Um, it's difficult to have... Uh, a normal life when you can't make decisions, when you can't think, when you can't concentrate. And severe, de severe depression, actually, there's uh, loss of chemicals in the brain because of all that adrenaline and cortisol. It uses up all these chemicals in the brain. I could give you a long list of them, but they're all, you wouldn't understand any of them. And there's, they've made drugs out of all of them. And we treat depression with those drugs. Um, to replace some of the chemicals that are used up by the adrenaline, cortisol, and anxiety. So, um, I guess so. Yes, it is. Yeah, they can come all together, or they can. You can have one particularly, or you, right. depression can be manifest by one. Um, some people become very introverted. Other people become really irritable, angry. Um, it's but generally that slowing down of of being able to make decisions is very normal. Um, and and when it's really severe, recurrent thoughts of death, um, suicidal thoughts, with or without a plan, or an attempt, which is what Chris is going to talk about a bit later, and that's um, that's the most serious. Um, part of, of being depressed or anxious. Both, I, I lump them together because they really are the same illness. So what to do when depression enters your life or the life of someone you know or someone in your family? What do you do? They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to have anything to do with you. Most people do nothing. You'll see, you know, um, in a family you'll see, or at workplace, you'll see at the beginning 
oh, they're just having a bad day or they're just, you know, and the person themselves doesn't want to do anything about it. It's only when you have recurrent or continuing depression that you'll, you'll actually ask for help. And there's that lag time, which is really important, particularly in adolescence, as you know, that you've, you've really got to be aware of what's um, happening to your kid and the kids around them. If you notice that one of your kid's friends is, is going, what do you do? The Are You OK program is, is probably good, but it's not really enough. I mean, are you OK? Of course you say yes, <laughs> but you know inside. <laughs> so, are you really OK <laughs> is the next question. Are you really, really OK is the next one. So, you really have to go further than are you OK and talk. You know, I'm really worried about you. What's going on? You know, if you can't share with me, can you share with someone else? Please don't let me down. Please don't stay like this. Please, please talk to someone. If you're not going to talk to me, please talk to someone else. Very important to talk. The people in the Bible wrote it down. That's another thing you can do. You know, encourage, encourage people to write down their feelings because that's cathartic. It, wor it works. Got to work on that. Help. Talking is the first help. Um, you can go to your GP. GPs do um, a number of things. The, f the first thing we do when we see someone that fits those, those criterion is get them talking is the first thing. Exercising in the morning is the second thing. Eating properly is the third thing. So you may have to, it, it's tricky. Um, you may have to, you know, talk to the wife or the husband or to the, to the parents. That's, that's tricky. Um, confidentiality comes into it when you're particularly when talking to adolescents, you know, they don't want you to tell anybody. Um, and it's, it's something that you need to keep in touch. And I love social media for that because you can keep in touch with them on a daily basis and say, what's happening today? What was good about your day today? Um, we can do a mental health care plan, which is which helps with the finances. Um, it's uh, just fill out a form, send it to the government, and they pay for some of the um, uh, the the treatment that we give by psychologists, and Medicare pays for some of the psychiatrists. So that's a thing that can help people. Oh, I can't afford to go to all these doctors, and and that's a real thing. Um, they're expensive. Um, there are um, adolescent units in the major hospitals. Um, Westmead has one, I think, yeah, um, North Shore has one and um, Hornsby has one. So you can get people locked in with, um, they can get help that way. I've, um, as a GP, I've sent people straight to ER because I can't get through the bureaucracy and that, and I'll get them in that way. I'll keep track of them, but I'll get them in that way. If, I'll get them in anyway. If they need help and they need protection and they need 24-hour care, that's how I do it. It's very important. Um, psychologists, what do they do? What do, what do counsellors do? Um, it's talking therapy, basically. Um, general talking therapy, getting to know the patient. And then um, they have a lot of 
the, the main two things that they do are um, CBT and psychotherapy. Well, CBT is um, cognitive behaviour therapy. Why do depressed people need cognitive therapy? It's because everything gets mixed up in their brains. Their mind can get to the point where they can't even look at the Bible and think straight. They get it all mixed up. Their relationships get all mixed up. And they might, for instance, when I was depressed, I thought every time someone spoke to me, I thought they were having a go at me. That's a little bit of paranoia, I think. But it, that's how I felt. So I didn't talk to anybody. I'm not going to start a conversation with anybody anymore. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's the bad thinking in my head because they weren't. And I had to change that, that um, thinking process. I had to change the way I thought and the feelings that came afterwards and then my behaviour and start talking. So that's what CBT does. Um, psychotherapy is talking about how you handle things and your perspective and, you know, um, it's a relationship thing. So when you're depressed, relationships get screwed up. And it's really important to work on those relationships and restore them, not only with your family and with, um, with your workmates, with God too. That's why having a Christian psychiatrist or a Christian psychologist or a Christian GP is very important, if you can find one. They help you with that relationship, which is the paramount relationship. The role of medication. Medication, there's a lot of thought about medication that's anti and a lot that's pro. Uh, I think medication, um, this is my personal opinion, I give people a trial of medication. I never say they have to take it. Um, but a trial of medication, particularly in adolescents, can be fraught with danger because their brains aren't myelinated properly and it doesn't necessarily have the same effect on them as it has on an adult. So often I will send them off to an adolescent psychiatrist because they're much more experienced in dealing with that sort of thing. I used to see a lot of young people um, at school with anxiety. That's our fault. That's our fault that these kids are getting anxiety. It's society's fault. We're putting too much pressure on them with HSC, social media, all that sort of stuff. It's just too much. Um, the other thing is online resources. And they're very helpful for the, for the adolescents particularly and for everyone else as well. To, um, to go to the Beyond Blue website, to go to Headspace, which is, uh, also has platforms for young people to um, have chat rooms. Um, Mood Gym is very good. It was developed by ANU. Um, it takes you, if, do you think, it takes you through a series of things. Do you think you have anxiety or depression? And it takes you through step by step and helps you understand what you're going through. Oh, you know. There's other people with this, and then at the end, it, it gives you case histories of all people that have the same symptoms as you, and you can see that you're not the only one. Yep. And there's associated apps with that. Yeah, there's apps for I mean, there's for panic attacks, for relaxation, for meditation before you go to bed so that you can sleep. Um, yeah, Black Dog, Headspace is another one. They're all they're all real. I've listed them there. They're, they're good to keep in your wallet. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
should be on a card to put them in your wallet and give them to people because they are very good resources. Uh, the, the other thing that hasn't been mentioned a lot here is sleep. Sleep is one of the things that's very hard to come by when you're depressed. You either sleep too much or you don't sleep at all. There's no in-between. Um, and that's where the exercise, eating wisely and um, talking to people during the day will help you sleep at night. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, so um, thank you very much, Joan. And um, just a just a reminder, you know, there are those resources available. Avail yourselves of them. You know, we're very blessed. We're we're very blessed to have um, professionals around us who can help. So I did um, in the literature that went out. I did uh, promise that I wouldn't. Um, depress anyone uh, and, uh, and, and so we're now going to talk about probably the subject that is most depressing um, uh, in the whole field and that is the issue of depression, of uh, sorry suicide, I can't even say it um, so are the stats up there? Yeah. Yeah. so 3,000 people per year in Australia commit suicide that's almost triple the road toll. You, know, it's, you think about the amount of resources that go into keeping a safe in cars and, and three times that many people are killing themselves each year. Nearly 90,000 people a year think about it. Um, generally, suicide is on the increase in, our, in Western societies. Three quarters of the people are men. The greatest... Oh, there's a... My age group, 45 to 54, the, the greatest uh, increase um, in, in suicides. But women represent nearly 62% of hospital admittances for self-harm. Um, there is an over-representation in, in rural areas and in Indigenous folks. They're almost twice as likely to kill themselves. And I think we are seeing a big concentration on that in the media and in, in, in politics and, and, and the focus um, particularly on, uh, on Indigenous areas. I don't know how successful the work is. Now, suicide is actually um, uh, is in the Bible. There is, uh, there's seven clear cases of suicide in the Bible. And I don't think we have got the time uh, to go through them. I'll, I'll mention their names. Ah. Oh. They're probably up there again, are they? Yes, they are. Okay. So, as you read through the Old Testament particularly, you'll see them. I think uh, Judas is the only one uh, in the New Testament. You'll see the reasons. And But what I wanted to point out is if, if you get there, just to think about what, the, what their motivation was. And, and just... Um, uh, I'm... I'm stumbling because this, by far, is the hardest topic for me to talk about. Right? I've I've sweated on on even on even raising it, um, and and seeking for wisdom to to deal with it in in the right manner. 
there's only one person in the list that had any semblance... Oh, no, that's not quite true. I was going to say of godliness. But most of, most of the people there ended up killing themselves for for either they didn't want to face the consequences of what they had done, they didn't want to fall into the hands of their enemy, or so they had a fear of suffering, or, or their pride simply wouldn't let them um, die at the hand of, of some oppressor, of the victor. Um, and for me, I just wanted to say that fear of suffering and pride, I recognise those two things when I have thought about ending my life. Right? Those two things. I don't want to face more. Right? We can put different languages on it. I can't face another day like this. I can't keep doing this. It's the, it's the fear that tomorrow will be the same as today, and today was pretty bad, so tomorrow's going to be bad. And, and it's a despair and a hopelessness and a fear that it is going to be the same. A fear of it ongoing circumstance. There's also some pride in it. There's a desire to take control of, well, at least I can do this. Okay, so... I just had the, the cautionary note here that if if you ever have these thoughts, then work out your motivation. You know, really really think about your motivation. I'm going to say something else a bit more urgent than that in a second. Yes. Um, I'd just like to say one thing at this point. And, um, when, when you're um, having suicide ideation... Yep type of thoughts, the, um, the difficulty for anybody in that situation is that um, you can't think logically. So the idea to think about what your motivation mm -hmm. is would actually probably not even enter your stream of consciousness. So um, uh, yep. no disrespect there, but Maybe you could do it before Later. you do it, or after, yeah. <laughs> like or, whilst you're having these yes. thoughts. Or later. Whilst you're actually yeah. having it, yes. very emotional. Of course. And your and thoughts so are illogical. Your thoughts are scrambled. The best thing you yeah. can do when you're emotional is to talk. Ring lifeline. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. This is my lifeline float. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. So with that, we're... I might just go into my my three points about um, about suicide. So I I have a one very simple rule, and that is that if you are thinking of harming yourself, if you're thinking about running away from home, if you're thinking about acts of violence, do not delay. Go immediately and get help. Just do it. Right there is. Do not prolong those thoughts one minute, hour longer than you need to have them. Go and get help immediately. Now, because we can play, we can play with these thoughts. And, um, and I agree with you, there is a great lack of uh, logic going on, but 
we're all testimony to the fact that we've survived. Then we've gone on to the following day and the following day, and then we might have had those thoughts again. So we're not always going to be absolutely succumbing to our emotions. Right? They can take us to the edge. And it can be single thoughts that keep us hanging on. Single thoughts. Someone loves me. I love someone else. Tomorrow could be better than today. There could be a, a bunch of thoughts, but my, my first idea there is get help immediately. Don't stuff around with it. Now, I was on medication, on and off medication for many years. <coughs> a couple of times I'd get to Christmas, I'd have Christmas holidays, and I'd think, oh, I'll try I'll try to go off my medication and uh, see, see what happened. And then often after about six months or so, I'd find myself starting to think about suicide. I don't stuff around. I just went straight to the doctor. Straight to the doctor. Now, I'd had some realisations by then, right, about being loved and about my me loving my family. Um, but don't muck around with it. Just go and do it. Now, for me, my... Uh, it's very strange, right, because our circumstances, our, it's often our terrible circumstances that make us depressed, but in my case it was actually when I was, had the greatest chance of being happy that I realised I was depressed. Right, so um, Kaz and I were very blessed to live with some very good friends of ours. We co-owned a house um, in Glenhaven, God's country, right? So, you know, it's just gorgeous how... how you know, fortunate are you, you live in, you're born or you live in Sydney. You know, we're in a great suburb, in a great part of Sydney. We're living with great friends. We had four incomes, so, so we had money just pouring into the house. Mortgages weren't stressful. Food was fantastic. Great company, great fellowship. Everything was absolutely sweet. And we had our first daughter. And she's perfect. Right? So, I find myself one day nursing my daughter. And I've got tears flying down my face. And I'm just doing this assessment. I've got a perfect life. I've got a job I love. I've got a wife I love. I've got a perfectly healthy baby child. I'm living in a fantastic suburb, in a fantastic house. I'm in fellowship. I've got absolutely everything that a person could hope for, and I'm thinking of killing myself. And the irony, like, uh, and it took God to bring me to that point, if only for a season. I think God is fantastic. You know, he orchestrated all that just for that moment, in, in some ways I, I think that, because... It was in that moment where I thought, I've actually got a problem. You know, like, you all knew it. Uh, okay, no, you guys didn't know me at that point in time. But, but, you know, I thought I was normal up until that time. And it took that moment for me to go, this is not normal. This is not normal. Everything's as good as it can be, and I want to end it. So I went and got help at that point, at, at that point in time. And, and since then... I've tried all sorts of things. I've tried all sorts of things. And um, 
and uh, and life goes on. You know, one one step at a time. It's a battle, and it keeps. You know, and you 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 win battles within the war, and and uh, and one day we'll go to glory, and we'll uh, we'll win the war absolutely. Finally, um, I had a little story there, which I just wanted to say. I just want to make this point, right? Because the reason why I'm raising that is because the entire battle is inside our own head. Reality, for whatever that is, has got nothing to do with anything. Facts don't matter. How good your life is doesn't matter. How bad it is doesn't matter. It is only in your head. The difference between life and death is chemicals and ideas bouncing around inside our head. Nothing else. And that's mind-blowing. I hope you find that mind-blowing. It, because it, everything else doesn't matter. All of reality doesn't matter. It is just thoughts. It's absolutely just thoughts. And that's not to minimise the causes, of course. That you, There might be some real things going on that are, are really getting you low. But ultimately, the difference between despair and hope is just in our heads. Now, there's this great story about the, the concentration camps in... Uh, a great story from the concentration camps. That does, that's, does sound a bit weird, doesn't it? Um, they realised really early on the, the people in the concentration camps that were dying were the ones who were despairing the fastest. Yeah, the ones who lost hope the fastest died the fastest. Transfers into your physical ability to cope and everything like that. And, you know, they did a really simple thing. When they realised this, they made people responsible for remembering one face of their guards. So they gave each person the, the, the task of remembering a face of their guard so that when they got out, they could bring that person to justice. Right. So through this tiny, obscure task, they gave hope to people who otherwise didn't have hope. So my, my challenge here is to find something that you can have hope in and make it the louder voice in your head. Right? Make it the louder voice. Keep concentrating on what that thing is. I think you'll find that that's Christ, but you you find the thing that, that gives you hope and you keep thinking about it and you concentrate on it. Okay. Now, here is the most depressing thing that I'm going to tell you, but it's also the most uplifting. Right? I was depressed when I realised this. So here I was, I was depressed already, and then I realised this thing and, and, and it depressed me even further. Suicide is not an option. Now, for me, suicide was a plan B. If everything turns or keeps being completely haywire and completely bad like this, then I can take my own life. Right? And then one day I realised my family love me. They are going to be devastated. I say I love them. <laughs> 
me hanging around and loving them is a far more loving thing than disappearing from their lives. So their love for me and my love for them means that killing myself is not an option. It simply is not an option. I can't do it. And the moment I realised that, I thought, I can't even do that. You know, like, how pathetic is that? It's pathetic right up until you realise it is the very best moment in your entire life when you take that option off the table. Because what it does is, it forces you to go back to the doctor, it forces you to start talking about it, it forces you to concentrate on your relationships, it forces you to start thinking about living and not about dying. Because dying isn't an option. Right? Ultimately, the idea of suicide is Satan whispering in your ear that you are going to be better off, that other people are going to be better off. It is an absolute lie. It is an absolute demonic lie. No one is better off by people killing themselves. No one. Not the person and not the people they leave behind. Now, I was going to tell a story there about a young man I know. I, I know him because he was in a Bible study group. We weren't close, uh, particularly close, and then after... After years of Bible studying together, he was going strength to strength, everything going right, and then he killed himself. And here I was, I was right out on the periphery of his contacts. It devastated me. It wiped me out for three years. It made me question everything. I let him in Bible study for, for seven years. What was wrong with my teaching? You know, there's nothing like a depressed person to see themselves in every situation, right? But, you know, his family were, you know, grieving and his family were faithful. I mean, they were incredible, incredible people. But it knocked me out. It caused me to give up in things in Bible study, leading Bible study. I was leading the youth Bible study at that time. I couldn't do it anymore. It just took out my confidence. It took out my joy. I couldn't believe it. And I was only on the outer of his circle. Right? Suicide devastates. Right? It's not an option. So take it off the table. And you will... So that is a really depressing realisation, but it is a fantastic realisation because it comes with a twofold thing. Firstly, you realise I am loved and I love people. That is a wonderful place to be in this world. You are loved and you love people. And then it's like standing at the edge of the abyss and turning your back on it and saying, I'm not going there. Now I'm going to concentrate on living and not on dying. Staying sick is not an option, right? Get well. Get well. Make life good. So... We've run out of time. Um, the Hebrews 4 passage is about Jesus, our Lord, understanding and sympathising with our weaknesses. He's been tempted just as we are, but without sin. It led me to a really good study on, on how Jesus suffered in his life. I mean, really, from the moment he was conceived. I mean, you know... Life was tough for him. 
and his family. Um, he understands our weaknesses and he promises to give us the grace we need, the, the last part of that verse 16, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And we can do that by coming right into the presence of God. What a beautiful thing that is. Um, you'll know the passage where Paul says that he, he prayed that this the thorn in the flesh would be taken away from him. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It gets back to that idea that we started with, that um, there's sometimes to serve God, what we need is humility. And and I've, I've realised, and one of the things that now gives me joy, is that God does things in my life despite all the ways I've tried to mess it up. <laughs> you know, from childhood through to now, I continue to try to mess it up sometimes. I continue to do things that would mess it up. But God just continues to be faithful with us and just continues to love us and pour out his love. Um... We have the choice of whether we run to him or we run away from him. You know, that's our choice. And, and I think you'll find, and God promises it, that we will find grace when we come boldly to him. He loves us. So, okay, so tonight, hopefully you've seen that um, many others suffer from depression, including some of the great heroes of the faith. Great personal sadness is not an obstacle to being used by God, um, nor is it an obstacle to having an intimate relationship with God. Um, isolation is offered by Satan as a way to protect ourselves, but actually makes us very vulnerable. We saw that medical help and professional help is available to us, and hopefully you've seen that it's wise to avail yourself of that help. And finally, we didn't really spend much time on it, that Jesus himself is sympathetic uh, towards us and never condemning, right? Never condemning. And he ushers us into the very presence of God. He gives us his loving grace and mercy when we most need it. So hopefully that's been encouraging to you. Next week we are going to be looking at the fact that God himself is with us all the time and he is good. Would somebody like to pray as we close? Yes, so Heavenly Father, in all things we we honour you, we, we we run to you, we seek you, we know you have the words of life, you are life, you are truth. And you rescue us no matter what. And love knows no ends, no bounds. And you wait for us, you seek us, you chase us. And thank you. We bless you, Lord. May you be pleased to use each of us your way. May you be pleased to, to keep talking with each of us and bring us close to you in all things. We submit to you again. We commit our lives again to you. We so desire to come right to your throne room of grace.
and seek, seek help. We desire to be with you. Dear Father, may you, may you lead us all. May you give us opportunities to shed your love abroad and to, to be light and salt in our, in, uh, in our community. We lift our lives to you and we pray in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs>